Come Holy Spirit, kindle the fire within us. Open the eyes of our hearts and see through them. Open our lips and speak through them. Set our souls on fire. Please be seated. I think most of us know that we've got um, all of business cards or little help that we have. They look like business cards. It gets them out on the table out in the narthex. Um, it's got our service times on it. It's got a little map to the church. And there's a, there's a thing at the bottom that we like to tell people about our church. It's come and see. Come and see. It's an invitation to church. There's a whole lot of coming and seeing going on in the early part of John's gospel. Uh, we just heard last week about the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan. And now suddenly it's about people coming to him. But what's been left out here, um, there's, there's a scene right after Jesus is baptized. And John the baptizer is hanging out with his disciples. And Jesus walks by. And John says something like, that's the dude. <laughs> well, in his own language, he's like, the Lamb of God. Okay? That's him. That's the guy. The Lamb of God. That's the one that I saw the Spirit come upon. That's him. It's about seeing. And two of his disciples, the text says, two of his disciples start following after Jesus because they see and they follow. And he turns around and says, well, what are you looking for? They go, well, where are you staying? And what does he say? Come and see. Come and see. An invitation into relationship. Notice Jesus didn't say, why don't you come to my church on Sunday? He's calling people into relationship. Come and see. From there, we find out that one of those who went to spend the night with them was Andrew. And Andrew goes and gets his brother, whose name is Simon. And he shows up, takes him to Jesus, and Jesus, before Simon can say anything, he says, you're Simon. Your name from now on is Peter. See, Jesus already knew. Right? It's another part of what John tells us over and over again, that Jesus has this foreknowledge. He knows what people are thinking before they think it. He knows. Now we have this story of Jesus finding Philip. Finding Philip. And then Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. We have found the Messiah. We have found the one that Moses talked about in the law and the prophets spoke of. We have found him. His name is Jesus. His daddy, Joseph. He is from Nazareth. And then Nathaniel speaks those words. What does he say? Could anything good come out of Nazareth? I don't think the people in Nazareth appreciate that. <laughs> Can anything good come out of Clay County? Those are fighting words, right? Okay? Huh. Can anything good come out of? And what does Philip say to him? Come and see. Come and see. Okay? All these invitations to come and see, to come and see, to come and see. And it's not as easy as maybe the Gospels make it sound. Like people just are given the opportunity and they take it up. 
like, why don't you come to my church? And of course, we do that. All of our neighbors, some do, yay. But a lot of times, how many times have you tried that? And somebody goes, uh, washing the dog, got <laughs> a flat tire, right? All kinds of reasons why they do not embrace that. Because getting people to see is not as easy as the gospel sometimes make it sound. So this is kind of a, a this is a strange God thing that happened here. Turner left me a DVD. And you left that on okay, which was Friday. Okay, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at that. Don't do that to me. Okay. <laughs> Turner left me a DVD. It's a it's a it's a musical thing, and I'm like, oh, okay, I got it next to my computer. I'll, I'll check it out some other time. He told me what it was this morning on going, oh my, isn't that something? Because it has something to do with what I was going to say today about seeing and getting people to see. There is a musical called The Cotton Patch Gospel that's a telling of the story of Jesus, Jesus being born in Georgia. <laughs> and growing up in Southern culture, among Baptist churches. And one of the one of the co-authors of the play is Tom Key. And he was also in the performance. And the way somebody describes his performance is, is just amazing. They had been out on this long run of this show, and he had become really good in his role as Jesus. And his confidence was going up to the point where, on the last shows, he decided to start ad-libbing. So it was a scene where it's the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. And he's up on stage with his disciples and the crowds that he's talking to, and then he turns, he hadn't done this before, he turns to the audience and speaks to them. He turns to the audience and says, see the lilies in the field. And he's pointing, there's a huge auditorium full of people, and there's a blank auditorium wall, and he points to it and says, see the lilies that are in the field. He was not supposed to do that. And then after he said that and he pointed at the wall, he just stood there. You're already feeling it, right? That kind of, what's going on here? You see, I think the people on the stage were assuming the same thing. People, to be honest, he's forgotten his line. He's forgotten his line. But he just stood there. And then he looks at the audience again, and he points to the wall. See the lilies in the field. Now they're wondering, what is he doing? He's forgotten his line, he's just repeating the same thing. Somebody maybe needs to go now, right, and, and, and say something or whisper something to him, right, to move this along. And then the third time, looking at the audience, and he looks and says, see the lilies in the 
feel. And it's just as quiet as this. The actors on the stage don't know what's going on. The audience has no idea what he's doing. This is not how it's supposed to go. Then he finally turns around and says to the cast on the stage, I guess they're not going to look. I guess they're not going to look. At that point, everybody understood what he was doing. It was just kind of him having fun. He was just improving his lines. But once he did that, and he says, look at the lilies in the field, the whole audience turned to that blank wall. It's not easy to get people to come and see. It's not easy to simply tell people, look and see. And even when people do look and see, they don't necessarily see what they should be seeing. Paul tells us that the Spirit of God resides in us. The Spirit of God resides in us. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So he tells us to take care of our bodies, don't defile them, because the Spirit of God is within us. So that means that the Spirit of God is in George and Turner and Tom and Carolyn and Bev and Dave. The Spirit of God. God resides within all of them. Maybe that should do something to the way I see each of them. Maybe that should mean something for the way I treat them and the care that I show them and the patience I have with them. Maybe that should make a difference in how all of us who call ourselves Christians react to each other. Because sometimes you might say or do things where we are not at our best. And rather than condemning those people, maybe you can remember that that spirit of God is still in them. And if nothing else, I can honor that in them. Honor that in them. The story of a group of writers at the University of Wisconsin. One of my welcome friends. Hi, Dick and Diane. Okay. Yeah, this, is one, this one's for you, Dick. University of Wisconsin. A group of writers. Young men, incredibly talented. Essayists, novelists, poets. And they decided to get together and form a group where they would provide criticism of each other's work. That they would get together and they would, without mercy, tear each other's work apart. Thinking that in doing that, they would become better writers. They became known as the Stranglers. <laughs> The Stranglers. And they would take each other's work and they would tear it apart, word choice, phrasing, everything, without mercy, just rake each other's work over the coals. Now, there's a group of women on campus, also brilliant writers, not to be outdone by this group of young men, they formed their own group where they would look at each other's work and offer criticism. <clears throat> but they were much gentler with each other. <clears throat> and it said that no matter how weak the writing or the piece of work might be, everybody looked for something positive to say. 
Finding something that you can say, well, at least it looked like you really put a lot into this. You've got the beginning of something that perhaps will turn into something great. Years later, a graduate from the University of Wisconsin looked at graduates from that university. And remember that there were these two groups, the Stranglers and the women's group called the Wranglers, <laughs> and asked the question about, well, what became of these two groups, this group of young men and the way they approach things versus this group of young women? Not a single one of those young men left anything that was worthy of recognition. No notable publications, no notable books, poems, nothing from that group of stranglers. From the group of wranglers, though, there were six renowned authors, including one of them who, in 1938, had the best-selling novel of that year. Her book won a Pulitzer Prize. Her name is Marjorie Rawling. Some of you might have read her book, The Yearly. You see, that encouragement, that encouragement, even when there might not be a whole lot to encourage, that praise, even when there might not be a whole lot there to praise, can lead to greater things. And so when Nathaniel, in his wisdom, disses Jesus' hometown, when he talks about Nazareth in a demeaning way, see, Jesus could be nasty in return. He could be nasty in return. He could criticize where Nathaniel was from. He could dismiss him and have nothing to do with him. But what does he do instead? Here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, he might have said something unkind and untrue, but he was true in what he said. In him there is no God. At least he speaks his mind. At least he speaks his mind. He might be a jerk, but I'll give him credit for speaking his mind. Here is an Israelite in whom there is no God. With that, he welcomes him into seeing something greater than that. Because I think he remembers that even in this person, Nathaniel, who doesn't see yet, there's the chance that inviting him into a relationship, he will come to see. He will come to see. And so when Nathaniel is amazed, like, oh, you saw me under the tree, and he says, you are the son of God, you're the king of Israel. So that's a good start. That's a good start. That's a good start. Come and see. You'll see even greater things than that. You'll see the angels in heaven ascending and descending upon the Son of God. All because, all because, Jesus is as we are, as we should be. <coughs> Seeing the spirit that resides in each of us. Looking for that. Even when those people might be difficult and disagreeable and so far away from us in the way we think about the world, 
that they got pink hats on or red hats on. And you know what that means. And how you might disagree with them vehemently about things. Still remember the Spirit of God is in them. Recognize that and honor that. And perhaps each of us, them and us and all of us, will see greater things than these. Amen.